church family, welcome back to the Saratoga Bible Life Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and I just pray that as you listen to this message, that you are encouraged, blessed, and challenged to grow closer in your walk with God. We are continuing on in our series, Panning for Gold, and this message was given by our senior pastor, Pastor God. Be blessed. How's everybody doing? I heard like a grade from over there, maybe one or two down here. How's everybody doing? It's okay, you know, an acceptable answer is not so good. Uh, I won't dig in, but you know, just encourage one another, right? You're stressed? Aren't you getting ready to move? Well, that would be stressful. Yeah. When's your last week with us here? This week? Uh, let's pray for Lauren and Tom. Where's Tom? Is he here? Okay. Well, Tom's not getting prayer then. All right. No, Lauren, this is Kim's daughter and and son-in-law and they have a great, and she have a grandson, but she got a good job, right? And you guys are going out there. So we're going to miss you. But Lord, we just pray over Lauren and Tom and, and their family. God, we want their best. And God, we pray that you would give them protection, provision, direction, clarity. God, we pray for a great church home out where they're going. Father, where they could plug in immediately and feel like it's home, like family. And Lord, that we had just asked that you would, you would cover them with your spiritual um, understanding of why you're sending them out there, not just for employment. God, I pray you show them the things that you want their family involved in so that they can continue to grow in your kingdom and continue to produce the fruit that you desire through their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to second what uh, Derek said. Like last weekend was just so good. Yeah. One service, so good. Me and Andy and a couple people over here thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Audience participation. It was good, right? Here's, a, here's an interesting thing. I don't want to get too sidetracked because I, I definitely got some things I want to share. But um, normally our ushers, they, like, they, just, they count heads for first and second service just so we can you know, see um, if we need to like, think about things for our children's ministry, all kinds of stuff. But there's always like a little sheet, and it's you know, first service and second service. So when you add the two numbers, almost every week it fluctuates between like, Where's Pastor Jim? Was he teaching? Okay. Uh, so probably between, if you added the two services together, probably somewhere between, and this is, um, I think adults only, but I can't remember, uh, 275 to 290. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, again, we're not like looking for something specific. We're just trying to be diligent about preparation and stuff. But last week we had one service, and God has been... Uh, sending a lot of new people here to check us out, maybe just to encourage for one week. And some people are sticking around and hanging out. But last week, um, the number for one service was like 317. So I'm like, God just loves doing that wackiness to us, you know, like the, the two the two parts of two should, you know, equal, but I would think maybe a little greater. But no, we had a lot of people and we get to do it again on October 31st. When Pastor Dale's here. So that was communicated today, right? 
Okay, because I got mixed up with the 212 and all that stuff like that. All right, so, um, but we have more people that have to speak out commitment. And so over the next couple, three, four weeks, we're going to have three or four more people that went through the classes, but for certain reasons, they just couldn't be with us last week. And so we're going to have people speak out at one of the services. Maybe we'll make them do both. You know, stick around for two services. Yeah. Chuck said, yeah. So if you don't like it, go talk to him. Um, so it's, th- those are good times. The family's growing. People are finding where they believe God has sent them. They're, they're, they want to plant. They confess their commitment. They want to be involved. They want to encourage. Like, and they, they encourage you by telling, um, telling you all the things that God has done uh, when they've been here to kind of affirm that. So I want to share a message with you. I told you that this season was going to be uh, quite different um, in that um, I, I believe the Lord kind of encouraged me that he was going to bring things maybe from week to week in this series we're calling Panning for Gold. Um, and how many people read the sign? Oh, only a couple, three. Do you remember what it said? Oh, hey, what's up? I was looking for you. I said, how do you, Dad? Good morning. Gold is in there. Who said silt? Searching for gold or settling for silt. And if you don't know what silt is, it's not exclusively for this, but when you sift the river water and the sand, usually the stuff that's not gold is referred to as a form of silt. It also can be in other forms. But if you don't get the silt out, it's hard to find the gold. And so I'm just challenging us and people driving by us. Are you really searching for gold? And I, I mean value, something that's valuable, uh, more valuable than what the world has to offer. Or are we just settling for the residue? And God doesn't want us to settle. How I many people know that? Amen would be okay right there? Okay. You know, I may get more participation from the live stream people. So um, this was a word that um, I've been investigating for myself, and as it came together, I think it's really important for us. And this has um, some roots into the prophetic word that I shared with you a couple, three weeks ago um, regarding that comfort is one of our greatest deceptions in the times that we live in. And so this root, this word is rooted into that um, word and the dream I had. And I don't have time to go into the details again, but if you're interested, that's like, I think that was on the weekend before, I don't remember the date, three weekends ago. You can go check it out. Um, but something, um, I was, I was, I've been processing a lot since we had our uh, ministry weekend with Humberto. How many people got to make that here? Went and came and saw a prayer, maybe? Okay. Um, something since um, Humberto has been really unsettled um, inside of me. And so I've been trying to, like, just pray through it and, and ask the Lord. And he's been, get, you know, leading me in a journey through the word. And so that's where we're going to go today is I'm going to take you along on my journey. You want to go? Yeah. Even if he said, no, it's too bad. I'm going to take you anyways. <laughs> um, but let me tell you just two things. Humberto de Leon that came out from California, 85 years old, um, has you know, been a minister for about 40-something years. 
and mostly in um, praying for healing and seeing God do a lot of things through that um, area of ministry. But when I talked to him a number of times, and um, he asked for just two things when he came out here. He asked for two songs specifically that the worship team would play. And they were very older, traditional type hymns. And I said, that's not be a problem. You know, our worship team's, you know, very um, skilled, and they'll be able to pull, put that together for you. And then he said, and er, whenever I'm praying for people, I want you right next to me. I was like, yeah, that's not hard at all either. So uh, I got to sit next to him, and I was a part of, um, I prayed in the spirit as everybody came up. Um, the Lord gave me two or three specific uh, word of knowledge, prophetic words for people. But most of the time, I just prayed in the spirit and agreed with what God wanted to do in people's lives. So all that to say, I got to hear how he prayed for every person. And I think that was why he wanted me next to He wanted me to experience the simplicity of how God moves in his life. And he listens for the voice and he, he, you know, in what he understands, he shares. And the one thing that he said to every person that got prayer for physical healing, and most everybody came up to him for physical healing, is he said, um, when God moves and you know that he has moved on your life, whether it be physical or whatever you had prayer for, when you know God has moved, you need to call Pastor Glenn and tell him, the report. Now, after like five or six, I was like, you know, I, he said that to every single person that I can remember. I have heard from almost nobody. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, it's not like a personal thing. I heard from a few, but I also know and saw the evidence of God actually moving on more than what I know about. And so there's something wrong. Why is there a reluctance to share what God has done? And so this has led me to an unsettledness. Um, and I think it was the unsettledness that God put there for me to investigate and get in the world. So I'm going to lead you some scripture. I'm going to pray for us. And then I want to lead you some scriptures. I'm going to try and include you in my thread, okay? But it's the Holy Spirit that's going to really speak to you all. I'm just going to share my journey, and we all know that are in faith that when the Spirit is actively involved in our lives is that the Word can speak something kind of unique to each and every one of you. So this message is not about anybody or any specific person in here. It's my observation about what's going on and what God may be bringing to the surface so that we can move forward in great things. Do we want that? Yeah. I do, right? Amen. Lord, I pray for us. Um, we, we know at a, at a measure who we are in you. God, we, we've studied, we know, and we're experiencing who you are. And God, we live in this world that is, sometimes keeps us guessing and wondering what's true and what's not. But Lord, in the, in the midst of all that, you haven't changed. You haven't shifted one bit. And so God, I pray for us as we go through your word, this word that you've given us as a gift, as a, as a compass, as a direction to understand your character, your nature. 
God, how you move, how you speak. God, there's so much in this gift. And then you gave us the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to help us in this time together to continue to grow, understand, be, see more clearly, even challenged if that's what's needed so that, God, you can bring the kind of change that you desire and that makes us closer to you and makes us in, uh, in a sense of growing and walking in a better place than we are just right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, if you want to open your Bibles, great. These scriptures will be mailed out during the, uh, for the spotlight. So if you want to look them on the screen, it's up to you. But I recommend that you either read the screen or read it at home because I'm reading the word. And so you make sure I'm actually reading the word that is accurate. Amen. Luke 18. So this is where I started my journey, and this was a very, I started out with about 32 scriptures. I've got it down to about seven or eight, (laughs) okay? So here we go. Luke 18, we're going to start in verse one. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. How many people know what a parable is? It's a story, right? So this isn't a true story. Jesus and other rabbis told stories to bring parallels, maybe a metaphor, but to really tie a concept that God wants to communicate to us in a story that is not actually factually happening in the life of the person telling it, okay? So it says, he told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And I thought about it this morning. I'm like, we don't have anything like that in the United States. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. I put an emphasis on it because, man, when I read this, maybe just for the first time, I saw like an 80 or 85-year-old woman, you know, in really big spirits, like demanding that that judge give her justice. A widow. She doesn't have to be 85. I just think it makes this story much more interesting. <laughs> and for some reason, time, he, oh, sorry, for some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's a scene if she was 85. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. You see, only a parable, you have God tell you, listen to the unjust judge. But there's a a message he wants us to key in. And, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, there's just a couple things in this parable I think are valuable to take away, and you may not see the correlation into what I started out talking about, but persistence, it's a story. God's not saying, bother the heck out of him so that he does what you want. He's trying to bring a point in a natural sense that if we believe in something strongly, if the word illuminates something, you know, if you ever read the Psalms, David often is asking God to like wipe out his enemies. 
Just take him off the face of the earth. I mean, he gets right down personal and preferential with the Lord. You know, the Lord doesn't usually answer him, but by the time the psalm gets done, he's worked through it in his heart. He's at a slightly different place, and he's processing different. But I think what God wants us to say is when we feel strongly about something that is opposed to God himself or is maybe in the, in the realm of that we are being treated a certain way, it's fine and it's probably encouraged to go before the Lord and ask God to relieve, bring relief or bring justice in more of a political sense or cultural sense, bring justice to the situation. Now, I want to say that in this parable, he talks about that one day, I tell you, he will see them and get justice and quickly. It doesn't tell you how long that takes or the progression that needs to happen in our lives to maybe see that or not, right? But the encouragement is to take it and press into the Lord with persistence. That's understandable, kind of a simple concept, although very encouraging. It's the next sentence that grabbed me. And it says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So apparently, the time when God will bring justice and bring it quickly Apparently, that has a lot to do with when Jesus is coming back in the sense of the parable and how we would persist even if it takes as long as Jesus coming back. But the, the thing that gripped me is when he comes back, will he find faith on the earth? So I started to wrestle with faith a little bit because this woman is being compared to someone who has faith and she's sticking to what she thinks is the Lord's will or what she thinks is just or even right. It's important. So faith in the Bible, in Hebrews, and I'm, I, I paraphrase it, but just, I think it covers all the, the bullets. Faith in the Bible is described as confidence and assurance in what we do not see but hope for. So in those terms, assurance and confidence in what we do, do not see in the sense of God himself or maybe the things that God is doing in the, in the background, but we hope for, and our hope isn't just based on a selfishness, God, I'd rather have this preferential, although it's okay to bring those to God, but a hope is that when we read the word, it insinuates and implies things that we should expect, and so we hope for those things even though we may not see them right in front of us. This could be easily be related to the persistent widow. But when he says the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He didn't say, will he find faith that's in line with just this section? He says, will he find faith, period? That's a challenge to us, the reader. If faith is confidence and assurance in what we do not see but hope for, then that faith is a compelling faith. In the Navy, I was a nuclear operator. There's a few of you I recognize out there that also did it. But in the Navy, when you're studying nuclear power, they're trying to cram about three and a half to four years of college in about 10 to 14 months of school. And it's a hard program. Um, but they teach you something in the Navy is that there are certain things the instructors will say is they just like, they hammer like theory, like nobody's business. Well, I love theory. But most people are like, they check out. And they said, listen, sometimes you just got to push the I believe button and move on. Look, that's not what this faith is about. Nowhere does God tell us just push the I believe and move on. He, he threads and he seeds expectancy. Yeah. Real hope. 
He threads things. He gives us stuff in the word that we're supposed to be kind of looking for, not just in the sense of what's happening as far as like what to expect as far as what this kingdom's about. What does a person who, you know, follows Christ look like? Go to the Old Testament. What does the Jewish nation, what was the, the kind of concepts that they had to follow? All kinds of things that we can look at and build a faith and expectancy, even though it might not be exactly defined. One of the areas being that we should take things God persistently, but faith isn't limited to just persistence. But in confidence and assurance, it definitely implies that these things are real. But if this faith that the Son of Man is looking for is one that's been cultivated and sustains us, because how many people know in Ephesians 2, a scripture that most of us who have given their life to Christ, that memorized, said that we have been saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? I mean, that was one of my first couple of scriptures I was required to um, memorize by my mentor. Well, that faith is a gift. Because if you have nothing, you can't cultivate. God gives you the first measure of faith, and maybe more, but the first as a gift and an opportunity to see your sin on the cross. Now, you don't have to choose. You don't even have to, like, believe. Or, but he gives you a gift of faith to be able to process and see and understand that. And that's a lot of when people give their lives to Christ. They see it. Their heart becomes convicted that that man didn't deserve what he did or died for. And that I owe him something, my life. And we move into this relationship of walking with Jesus. That's the faith that's, that's, a, that's a gift. This faith, when the Son of Man comes, he's looking more than just the gift. He's looking about the cultivated faith. And you and I have a lot to do with that with each other, right? Not solely, but the word has a lot to do with it. Our encouragement, teachers, you know, all the, the gifts for the equipping, all of that has to do with us growing. And it sustains life. It actually propels life. So more than the I believe statement, this kind of faith reforms the very essence of how we live. And it's a good thing. God has designed it. So now you need to take that and hold it. Put it in your pocket. We'll take it out in a second, all right? Luke 17, go back one chapter. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Okay, a couple really important things here. One, if you, the good Samaritan is, is a good place to understand what a Samaritan is. But a Samaritan in that culture was sort of an outcast. They were people that were considered like Dirty and culturally, you know, unacceptable. The Jews definitely didn't cross paths with a Samaritan. Um, and so he's not really, um, a, a, he's a social outlier at, at a minimum. But he's got leprosy. 
Now, that's not a word that we hear in a regular sense of actually, this isn't like a simple rash. This isn't like, oh, God, I have a red spot on my knee, you know, you know have, have pity on me. They probably wouldn't have even brought it up if it was that. Leprosy is this awful skin-eating, deteriorating type disease. And most of the people, or no, sorry, all the people who had leprosy, they were shoved over somewhere else. And honestly, this is how bad it was in the culture back then. If you had leprosy, you were like given instruction that you must follow or else you'll be dealt with. You'll be banished from places. They had to keep distance. They couldn't sleep or, you know, be in, in, the, in the, the place where nor, the clean people were, you know, sleeping and hanging out. And if you came near them and you didn't know, they had to yell at you, unclean, unclean, stay away. Can you imagine living in a society like that? Hmm. So, this man and nine others, a Samaritan, and I'm assuming because it says he was a Samaritan, that some, maybe all the rest, might have been Jews. I don't know. But the reason that he pulls this one out is important. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. I don't think he even made it to the priest when he realized what happened. He could not return to Jesus to praise him, throw himself down in gratitude. And Jesus says, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned, listen, to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There's this faith again. A faith that understands that there's a God who can make a difference beyond what the world's solutions are. Faith that compels you to expect, hope, pursue possibilities with this living God that apparently is in this form of a man who calls himself God and is doing things. You got to believe the lepers weren't like just some nobody walking by like, hello, have pity on us. Was it, were they looking for money? No, I think they understood at a measure who's going by. So there's a faith that is begun, not in the sense of Jesus on the cross, because he's still here in this moment, but he's, they're hearing the stories, people are talking, and they want to experience this miracle man for themselves that calls himself the Son of God. Jesus wants to know, where's the other nine? His faith has made him well. Was it the I believe button faith? Uh Uh-uh. The stories, the cultivation, there was enough of expectation that these 10 men yelled out. And God, in his awesome, perfect will for these gentlemen, issues healing. Now, here's questions I have. Please know that this is just questions that I'm asking by what Jesus tells us, because this is not a parable. This is a true story. When he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well, is he inferring that his faith to come back and complete what is important to when God moves on our lives? Possible. 
did the other nine guys maintain their healing? Because there's other places in the Bible that I've read where he deals with something and he says, now go and sin no more or something worse is going to happen to you. It doesn't say that either. Just a question I have. But one thing's for sure. Jesus seemingly either miffed or disappointed that he's the only one that comes back. It's more than the I believe. It's a, it's a faith that has now been raised by what God has done for him, and he is now willingly stepping in and partaking in the cultivation of obedience and a greater expectation going forth. Loud praise, transformed at a level. Does God want that? Does he need it? Does he want it? Okay. Are we not called as followers of Jesus to bring glory to God? Okay. I'm not trying to trick you today. Is that fair? Okay. What does God's glory mean? What does that actually mean? We're called to bring glory to God. Sorry again? Expression of his power? Again, usually there's no like completely bad answers or wrong answers, but I want to see if I can put something together for us so that there's more meaning to us when we walk out. Showing his grace and love. Makes him smile. That's his glory? Well, yeah, okay, I can see that. If we glorify God in his name, then it makes him smile. Is that what you're saying? All right. Providence. We're probably not going to unravel that one today, but I understand what you're saying. What? Who says something over here? Testimony? All right. Um, those are all good little pieces, but I'm going to give you the good answer. Now, it's not because I know this. I actually went and did some research and I put it together. So I think this is a pretty cool little wordy. And I know someone's going to go, can you read that again? So I'm going to read it really slow, okay? <laughs> and then read it again, right? So listen, um, this is how I put it together. God's glory is his creative and redemptive acts that display his magnificence worth, beauty, and grandeur of his many perfections. I mean, that's very, I, I try not to be super religious with my language because I want us to, you know I am, I want to I wanna like have words we can process and work with. So if we read it again. I, oh, somebody wants me to read it again? Wow, I didn't expect that. Okay, um, <laughs> here we go. His creative and redemptive acts that display his magnificence, worth, beauty, and grandeur of his many perfections. So only God can do supernatural things in the sense of restoring, restoration, this stuff. We know the enemy has some like real tricks up his sleeve and he has a realm that he operates in, but only God can do the, the, the perfect, the most complete, because he's the designer of not just our lives, but 
everything around us, right? And so when we glorify God, we basically walk in obedience and these things about God, because of our obedience, sometimes transform the very nature of who we are. He does things in our lives. He does things through our lives. And these are just possibilities. They're not, it's not exclusive. And when we bring, testify to his glory, we're basically saying God did these things. I got up in front of you, and I've told a lot of people about God healing my heart through a phone call from Amherto. He did it. All my tests are normal. I actually went out for a little short, 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 short jaunt. I have no pressure in my chest. I have, you know, I, I'm not actually running like full time now, but I could. I'm testifying to his glory because his glory took care of something that the world doesn't understand. Science sort of def- like boggled a little bit. Okay. So are we putting things slowly together here? Hopefully. Keep going. I got six minutes. I think I can do it. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Yeah. So here's, a, here's another little key. And I'm really excited because I think God, uh, the Holy Spirit, is going to connect it to all of you guys in your own unique ways. That's, that's what was my prayer this morning. That's what I actually felt like. So anyways, in Colossians 1, Paul is uh, writing a letter to the church. And he makes a statement um, about um, the Gentiles and Christ and the new covenant. And in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, To them, um, God, um, the Gentiles, has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery. Because in the Old Testament, everything was about the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean every, anybody outside was void of understanding any part of God, but it was all focused on God's chosen people. Jesus does what he does, and a lot of things change. The new covenant comes on that applies to the Gentiles. And he says that this has, that the Gentiles has been folded into the glorious riches of this mystery. And it says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the same word, glory. So Christ in you is the only hope you have for the glory of God to be involved in and through your life. Well, that makes it easy. I just got to find out who this Jesus guy is if you don't know him yet. The hope of glory rests in us. God's glory was intended to be seen and experienced through the redemptive and creative acts that he does in and for us. Man, this is amazing news. John 15 Jesus is talking to the 11. Judas has already gone on to like turn him in and, and, you know, set things in course. And he starts teaching these deeper things, but that's what the guys wanted all along. And he says in verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, listen to this, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's talking to him about a time when he's gonna leave. Die, raised from the dead, send the Holy Spirit. The, the, the scripture before that was already happened. Paul's talking to the church that's already begun. This is to my Father's glory, verse 8, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's going to be some other readings on the, um, on the spotlight this week that's going to help 
me even get a little deeper, but here's some things I want to ask you. This message is less about statements. It's more about process in your heart. Could you and I do anything to move an inch toward salvation, being saved without Jesus going to the cross? All of us probably agree on that, right? So what Jesus did was a display of the Father's love for us and his understanding that because of the fall of sin in the world the way it was going, without this, you and I, the believer, would never be able to be reconciled with the Father. And that was something he always wanted. Go all the way back to the garden. Everything got interrupted. He starts making a way through his son, the perfect sacrifice. And eventually we'll be reunited in that same presence like the garden. But right now, God's dealing with what needs to be dealt with so we can be close, amen? Not done, almost. So we couldn't do anything. But here's the real question. What does God expect in return for his investment? I'm just going to throw a couple things that I wrestled with, and I know I'm not just alone, but life is not arbitrary. We were designed, something broke, we all fell into brokenness. God dealt with the problem, and it wasn't just sin. It had a lot to do with his desire. He brought reconciliation. But after reconciliation, although we couldn't have done anything to do it, we realize in the revelation of asking Jesus as Lord and Savior that I owe him actually everything. But I want to know, what does he expect in return for his investment of his son? Because I don't know if we realize it enough. It wasn't like this thing like, yeah, dad, I'll go down and I'll do it for you. No, no, no. He went through brutal things. He got brought up before people that just slandered him, beat him, whipped him, all kinds of things. And he went on the cross and what he endured there wasn't just nails. He endured the full weight of God's wrath. God crushed him on the cross for you and me. That's crazy. I was dead in my sin, completely dead. Not like hanging on by a lifeline. I was dead, as were you. And God does the thing that we can't fathom. And I want to know the real question as a, as a servant, as a son of God, as a new creation, as someone who's being transformed and growing, is I want to know what do you expect from me in regards to the investment you made. And I think at a minimum, we have to start looking at baby steps. And when God does something good, like save your life in the spiritual sense, or heal you, or restore your heart, we better get off our butts and start telling some people about it. Because testifying of his glory is a part of us connecting to it. And if you want, when you look at the parable of, uh, of the, um, the talents, you're going to realize that when people aren't doing the things that he gave us to do and investing in those things, at a minimum, we're just blowing off 
the gift that God put on the cross for us. Part of us getting to increase and cultivate more faith is getting outside of ourselves and bringing in the things that we know now and we understand that God has put in us as, as kingdom things and we invest them for a return for our glorious king. There's no more sitting on at home. We're in times, we're in crazy times right now. I mean, in my life, I see nothing like it. But you know what? It doesn't even phase the fact that God has a plan and there's nothing that's gonna surprise him. And so we need to connect with that God who put himself inside of us as the Holy Spirit and says, listen, at a minimum, when I do things, you need to tell somebody, well, there's all kinds of things. Well, I'm fearful, the cares of the world. What if my job, like that? Listen, I don't have answers for them. All I know is that those things are like lame. I'm talking about myself too, right? I'm not looking, thinking about anybody else. I'm talking about me, like those things are lame. And so when he healed my heart, not just the thing, is when God does something, I'm out there to the point, I'm telling him all about what Jesus did as much as I can, but not, I mean, sorry, a lot, but not as much as I can. And I'm not saying you have to intrusively like knock your waitress over in the restaurant and say, you're gonna hear this, but God provides divine opportunity as long as we're sensitive and we don't blow off what he done. And so we just walk into those places. You know what? Somebody may not like you for it. Look, I don't want you to talk to me about God. Yeah, that's okay. It's better than getting hung on a cross. But God said he would be glorified in our suffering even. So uh, I just want to get you ready. You're going to experience some suffering. It's a part of the gospel. But God's glory is seen in it and through it because it makes him bigger and more valuable than people know when we walk through suffering for him. It's time that we rise up and let our faith make us whole. How about it? God, we are thankful. Have the ministry teams please come. God, we're thankful. We may not do the right things or... You know, but God, help us and forgive us when we've had these lame excuses about things like, that's not my personality or this, that. God, forgive us. You gave us everything and you poured and you, you crushed your own son on that cross for us. And I can't think of one thing that could be in comparison to that as to what my choices could be the way I'm gonna live my life. So I ask you to empower me. I ask you to empower us in our confession that that's what we want, need, and should do because you're worth it. And I pray that this word encourages us, maybe challenge, but Lord, with encouragement and strength and understanding and even boldness to, to just draw lines where maybe we know we've been struggling to like just speak, praise, give you what you, your name deserves. Help us, Lord, so that we can become closer and more about your glory and our comfort, in Jesus' name, amen. Listen, these people are down here to pray, but one last challenge. If you're in this room and you don't know what it means to walk in a relationship with God, putting Jesus as Lord and Savior, I just wanna encourage you in, in the best way I can is 
come down at a minimum and ask somebody, whether it's the, one of these, somebody's missing over there. Are you hiding over? Okay. Um, either somebody here or somebody, ask anybody what that means. Even if you're not sure you're ready to make that commitment, ask somebody what it means so they can tell you their testimony about what God has done in their life. We want to be a part of helping you, no matter where you are in Christ, to take a step closer in understanding at the heart and maybe experience a measure of what he desires to do and show you in your life. Don't walk out saying, I'll take care of it next time. Make it a priority to find out. And if you guys don't need prayer, I just bless you as you go. Well, there you have another great message and I pray and hope to see you next week. We are going to be having two services like normal, but just a reminder, at the end of the month, October 31st, we will be having one service because we're having a ministry weekend with our founding pastor, Pastor Dale and Sue. We're really excited to see what God's going to do that weekend and we hope to see you there. Love you guys.